Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Our topic today is reading the RFP, the request for proposals. This is the second in a series of proposal-centric podcasts that Kevin recorded with Vicki Straharsky, one of the Skyway team members. Vicki is a former contracting officer with the Army who's now on the industry side as a proposal manager, where she's worked hundreds of proposals over the last 20 years. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. To learn how custom consulting from Skyway's team of former contracting officers can help you, visit askskyway.com and schedule a time to talk to Kevin. Okay, let's get to part two in the series, reading the RFP. So Vicki, you and I did episode 165 and we explained the first four things that somebody should do, that the industry should do when the RFP comes out. And, and to recap them, the first one is read the RFP thoroughly and then build a proposal schedule, and then have a kickoff meeting to get everybody involved, and then make a proposal outline so you make sure that you're writing to what actually has to get done. And again, 165, we went through the overview, and now we're going to do each one of them. So the one to cover right now, the one to cover today, is reading the RFP. Why is that important? How does it work? Why is it critical? Why is it the first step, et cetera? Okay. Yep. That sounds good. And we'll get into uh, why it is so important to read the RFP thoroughly. Yeah. Because if you don't know what to do first, then you risk running really fast in the wrong direction. When I was a CEO, I really felt like I was being condescending. Someone would come with a question to me and I would say, did you read that in the RFP? Did you read the RFP? And sometimes I was, you know, really irritated when they, yeah, I read the whole thing and I can't find it, <laughs> which meant that I didn't have it in there. But for the most part, my expectation was, oh, they're reading the whole thing. And oftentimes that I have found on the other side that that is not the case, that their idea of uh, reading the whole RFP is to grab the PWS, read that thoroughly, and grab pieces of the RFP, the rest of the RFP, as they go putting together their proposal. And so they may or may not have read in detail everything. Yeah, and if they don't have time to read the whole RFP, the whole thing, not just the highlights, not just the, the pieces that they're interested in. If they don't have time to read the whole RFP, then maybe it's, it's out of their weight class. And that's a frustrating thing to think about, but that's, it's, it's a key factor. It is. Well, let's, let's zoom out for a second, talk about where we are in the acquisition time zones. And uh, for those of you who don't know the acquisition time zones, it's episode three explains the acquisition time zones, the requirement zone, market research zone, RFP zone, and source selection zone, the four zones of, that every acquisition goes through. And so this topic today is firmly ensconced in the RFP zone because we're talking about the actual RFP. So this is when you get the RFP and it's time to start slugging through it and making sure that you can make sense of it so that you can respond. It's also a time when the clock starts ticking and you start <laughs> feeling the pressure of actually putting together the proposal. So I understand. Let's touch on why this is so important. Why is it so important to read the RFP? It's important to read the RFP completely so that you have a complete understanding of first what the actual effort will be under the contract. Don't make it, you don't want to make assumptions that you understand exactly what you're going to be doing under the contract if it's not in writing. It is so important to thoroughly read the RFP because it's going to become your contract and it is the tool that will act as the legal communications between you and the government as to what you're going to perform and how you're going to perform it and, uh, and a lot of other details like that. Plus, it gives you the instructions for 
how to submit your proposal for doing the work as well. How do you do the reading of the RFP? How do you handle it? I read it through three times. The first time at, at an overview level to get a feel for the whole document, kind of to make sure that I've got all the parts that they actually refer to. Uh, sometimes they'll refer to an attachment for, and there is no attachment for. So it's one of those things you want to ask for really, really quick. It's the second time through, I go through in great detail with my highlighter, with sticky notes, with notes in the, you know, by the time I'm done, it, it looks like a well-used document. And then the third time around is to go through and answer some of the questions that you've noted down as you've read through in detail and see if you can now answer them because you've read the whole thing. And this goes back to the idea of if you don't have time to do all three of those, you're, I don't want to be mean to say you're out of your way class, but you're, you're in, introducing a lot more risk. Because if you don't find those little items, in fact, in the, in the last episode, we talked about it was a performance bond that was buried somewhere. And, and yes. that, that was a problem that nobody found. And, and you would have found it probably on the second time through, <laughs> um, or right. at least on the, on the third time. And while that sounds like a lot of work, that was a high risk piece that, that wasn't found. And by the time they brought you onto the team, you found it and thought, oh, yeah, you guys just wasted two weeks because you can't meet this. This is a binary thing. You've got to be able to do it. Yes, pass, fail. And interestingly, uh, I wrote a blog post, I think it was like a year and a half ago, maybe. And I said, you need to start with section M. Like the, that's the best place to start, right? Because that's what that section M is the one that tells you what the evaluation criteria are. And that's how it, what tells you what you're going to win. And your point, which is, this is why you're the lead proposal manager at Skyway. Your point is that it, that's one piece of it, but those little tripwires are all over the RFP. So that's right. Looking back, I'm still right 10% of the time. <laughs> I prefer to start there because it's the shortest one. Actually, section M is the fun part. You know, you're learning what it is the government's going to evaluate. And uh, when it, there's good news in it, like they're playing to your strength, then you're all happy about it. And if you find out that they're playing to your competitor's strengths, then you're, you've got some work to do to see if you can get things changed. But uh, the, the Section M is a very important document. It's just not where I would start. Good to know. All right, so why does the government care about this? And you had mentioned the idea of this being a legal agreement. Like this is the, and so let's, let's take the legal lingo out of that and say this is the framework of how you get the work done. And so if you don't understand it, if you don't clearly understand it, then you're setting yourself up for frustration. And, and when I was a CEO, there were many a times that I would get questions during this, the RFP zone and think, how can you not understand that? And as it's that whole rule of don't shoot the messenger, right? Is that if they don't understand it, then they're going to send you something that doesn't meet your needs. And many a time during a protest or during the debriefings or even closer to the, to the uh, release of the RFP during the negotiations, there were things that I thought were clear, but they weren't. And so the point of this is that they should be able to clearly, un they being industry, should be able to clearly understand it. The, the more they understand the RFP, the more complete the requirement is, the more accurate it is, the more effective the proposal is going to be. It's the whole garbage in, garbage out thing. And I didn't see that as clearly when I was a CEO as I see it now. Absolutely. And I didn't either when I was a CEO. So I think it's a, a, a kind of a common occurrence when you're sitting on the other side of the desk that you don't understand why they don't understand. <laughs> but I wish now, in retrospect, that I had paid more attention and realized and, and uh, not been put out by some of the questions that I got where I thought the answer was really crystal clear. If they're asking a question, it's not crystal clear. 
And I should have realized that. And that's what makes things like a draft RFI or a draft, I'm sorry, a draft RFP. I remember I used to put out RFPs and I would get uh, questions. And then we put out the revised version. We knew we'd amend the solicitation and I would highlight in red what we changed. And I would get thank you notes for that. And looking back, that's why I got thank you notes because they're like, okay, now I understand it. Now I can propose to it. <laughs> At the time, I thought just being courteous, and, but I really see the impact of that is that they clearly understand, okay, you changed these four sentences. Now I know the difference. I can adapt accordingly because this is a document that we all have to live with afterwards. So there's, there's a lot of value in a clear RFP and it is not easy. I mean, the, the amount of reviews and mother may eyes and, and happy to glads that happen in, a, in the RFP release process can be kind of exhausting. But I would really recommend and encourage that uh, the CEOs get industry more involved sooner. So let's jump to the industry side. I'll let you handle this one. So why does industry care so much about the RFP being clear? And why is it so important that they read it up front? Oh, it's so important from their side as well, from industry side as well, because this is going to be the contract they're going to have to perform to. And because they want to win uh, the, uh, the, the effort. And in order to be selected and actually respond to all of the bits and pieces that the government is looking for in the offer, they need to ask questions. They need to understand absolutely clearly, as clearly as possible, what the government is looking for so that they can actually present a, a good, uh, strong, easily to evaluate proposal. And, and you had mentioned one time that the, that the value of reading it three times, it actually is counterintuitive. It'll actually save you time and money. What did you mean by that? Oh, it actually does. Because if you don't, just as we said previously, uh, you might miss a requirement that is actually a showstopper. And you've wasted days or weeks even on pursuing an effort that you cannot submit the propo- a, a, a winning proposal on. It, it's not even going to be compliant. You can miss critical pieces that are buried if you don't actually take the time, for instance, to read the clauses and to know what those clauses mean. So, you know, there's some clauses that have actual proposal submittal requirements buried in them, and you can overlook them and and find yourself at the very end scrambling to try to throw together, assuming you find the requirement, throwing together a response that you wish that you had read it and and started it a much earlier. And what pops in my head is that the, the government team, well, I, I did when I, when I worked in a couple of different places, we had a contract writing system and it would cue us on, hey, this clause, which is buried in section, in section uh, I, you, it has a fill in and I would fill it in. And then of course, you know, that was easy for me, right? So I, I knew that it was in there. So I assumed everybody else had this neat system that told them where it was. What they're getting was a 65 page PDF of an RFP. It's not highlighted. That little nugget <laughs> was not really obvious to them. And, and it's interesting that now that I'm thinking about why is that stuff buried? So it's not that the government team is burying it on purpose. It's that it's in those clauses that the contract writing system like PD squared or Conrite or one of those will show you where it is. But unless you have that on the industry side, which nobody really has, unless they just, you know, they scan for it. But if you don't know where to look, it's, it's, it's buried in plain sight. (laughs) (laughs) It absolutely is. And of course the, uh, the clauses that are by reference only, sometimes the solicitation author doesn't think to uh, include instructions for submittal of say a professional employee compensation plan 
and what the requirements are. So you might miss it completely because they simply didn't include it in Section L or M, the instructions and the evaluation criteria, but you're still required to submit one because they've included it in Section I. And if you read the clause, it says clearly the contractor will submit in their proposal. You can actually be non-compliant for not, not providing it. No, there's, there's, a, there's another rabbit hole we won't go down today, but the, the professional compensation plan is it's going to be its own podcast episode at some point. Once we get through <laughs> these first four, that's a really good place to wrap it up. So the big takeaway for me is if you don't have time to read it, you're introducing risk. There's so many, and like you talked about, there's so many things buried in the RFP. And again, it's not because the government's trying to be conspiracy laden. It's that this process is complicated. And the bigger the contract, the bigger the opportunity, the bigger the proposal, the bigger the RFP, the more risk there is in there, the more things there are to miss. And it could be something that even something as simple as a 10-page RFP could have some nuggets, because like you said, they're, they're buried in a clause that's by reference. <laughs> and if you don't know where to look for it, you're not going to find it. Any, any big takeaways for you? Just to uh, take the time to read and understand the entire document that you are hoping to live with for the next five years, assuming that you win the contract and get to perform it through all the option periods. Know it before you sign up to it. And that's a that's a really good point. Most of the stuff that we help our clients with are, are they tend to be five year service contracts or production contracts, and so that with options, I mean they're they're more complex things. And, and yes, one of the questions we get a lot is, do we provide proposal consulting? And yes, we do. <laughs> and the best place to talk to us about what you're needing and whether or not we're a fit, go to Skyway ACQ, as in acquisitions, so SkywayACQ.com, and set up a time to talk to us. In the meantime, have a great day, and thanks for being a podcast listener. Thank you, Kevin. See ya. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us today. You can also join us in the Government Contracting Podcast Network on LinkedIn. See you next week.